0: Hello, hello, listeners to the Third Way podcast. You know, there's something, um, I guess, cosmic you could say about the interconnectivity with various people that I've met. So just over the past year, I was counting up how many people I've met because of someone else I know, and they felt a spark to introduce me to them. And that's led to friendships, business opportunities, podcast guests, sometimes all three. And such is the case with our guest today, my guest today, who was introduced to me, by one of my very dearest friends in the world, Juan Kingsbury, um, who is um, also been a guest on the podcast. And he will be um, featured in a new series I'm doing called 3D Conversations. And he's going to be the best man at our wedding uh, in November. So he introduced me to Yemi Penn. Yemi um, lives in Australia and she is a transformational... Um, expert, uh, a transformational thought leader. She has a PhD uh, related to trauma transformation, TEDx speaker, very accomplished. And I asked my guest for a pithy one-liner, and I love that she shared that she's a curious rebel who is dedicated to writing the script to her own life, but also uh, her own life. So welcome, Yummy. Thank you for ha- coming on.
1: Thank you so much. I, I have to say, I already want to be part of those 3D conversations you're going to be having. Uh-huh. So we'll, we'll put a, a note mark for yeah. that later, we'll but well, thank yeah. you for having me.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. So tell us a little bit about your background. I mean, I give some in your profile, but how
1: did you get here? I love that question. I, I got here through the distressing parts of life, but also the joyful parts of life. If I was to summarize mm-hmm. it, um, they really, you know, I'm I'm shy of 41 years old. So I can't say I've been on this earth long enough to know everything, because I don't think you do even to your last breath, but mm-hmm. enough has happened within the four decades to say There were some shit storms but there were also some really joyful fun moments and that has kind of crafted me into who I am today where you know the past kind of decade it's the curious rebel that was Mm -hmm. born it was the one who was asking the questions knowing that you know the retribution wasn't going to be as harsh as I thought as it would be as a little kid and the rebellion is the challenging status quo asking better quality questions um yeah, that in, in summary, that's how I've come to be, but I'm sure we can dive into that a bit more.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. fascinating. And I think that's I mean, Juan knows me extremely well, and he knows that I love original thinkers. And, you know, I we did the classic get to know you, I got to know you through kind of what you share out in the world, um, from your from your TED talk to what you post on social. And um I think it's um I think it's essential for the evolution of humanity to become to have a curiosity practice yes. to be able to see that as it's an extension of critical thinking it's an extension of being soul led rather than ego led there's there's something okay. about curiosity that's so essential to not just our own development but to keep that arc of justice bending or the arc of time bending towards justice too Mm. yeah without it yeah without it we just we decay oh yeah Um, which is why my theory why an authoritarian regimes be they you know uh other countries or florida here (laughs) uh, they go after they go after the artists and the thinkers first because yeah the curious ones so
1: yeah, oh my gosh, you just gave a whole symphony there. I was about to say I hope this is recorded so I can go back and play, which we will because <laughs> yes. you're interviewing me, but I love that. What was it that was it the truth, the arc of truth lead leaning towards justice? Yeah, that, that it's was... a quote
0: that was originally attributed to Martin Luther King Jr., but he never said it. He quoted it. He said it, but he was quoting it.
1: Someone else, and, right?
0: Yeah, and it was the arc of time That's is wrong, but bends towards justice. And ah. This bending towards justice as citizens, especially when we live in uh, representative or democracies or representative republics, that's our job. And we can't do that job if we're not curious. Yeah. Um, And that's why, you know, um, I'm such a fan of, fan's not the right word. I'm a deep believer in questioning everything. Like, it's okay. It doesn't, you know, and, and I think it's a sign of it's it's another quote by someone I think the 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 or have you say his name the philosopher which is intelligence is the ability to hold two opposing opinions at the same time. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a key. So, mm. well, let's dig into what we want. We're talking today about re- not coincidentally <laughs> rebellious <laughs> curiosity. Um, yeah. And the opening question I have for you, Yemi, is how did curiosity get you in trouble as a kid?
1: And maybe if you want to add to it as an adult. Yeah. So. It got me in trouble as a kid because it just felt like I was speaking too much. And I say this with <laughs> I say this with a little bit of karma kind of breathing over my neck because I've got a nine year old son who, oh, my God, <laughs> has so many questions. Yeah. And I can now see how that may have appeared to the adult. So I feel like I'm, I go between child and adult and parent. But it got me in trouble because. Firstly, I think people were just too busy. They were too preoccupied to answer all these questions this little girl was asking. That was number one. I think that the part of curiosity, and I love this question, because even though I knew I I had oversight of some of these questions, I also wanted to answer it from the depths of my soul. So I try not not to ever practice or rehearse. And one thing that's just come up for me is where curiosity also got me in trouble was me asking adults, I think what's happened is wrong. Like, even though I've never been taught, it feels wrong can you as the adult who apparently holds the power to what happens when something wrong has happened, you that holds the power for justice, could you help me out? And so what curiosity did for me as a kid was actually abandoned me. You know, I've never said that. So I'm so grateful to you for for the platform and the space that have that. So it it got me in trouble for asking too many questions and disturbing the Mm -hmm. peace. But it also abandoned me because the adults that I thought held that justice, gravel, gavel, whatever, did not, didn't, didn't come to my rescue for want of a better word.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's wow. That's profound. That's (laughs) yeah. Justice abandoned me. Um, Curiosity abandoned me. Yeah. I think I have a similar answer for myself. I got, I, I've always gotten trouble for speaking up. Um, When I was in the first grade during parent teacher conferences, my teacher told my mother, there's too much Justin to go around, which was not a compliment. Um, Yeah. I was you know, born. I have ADHD. I have, I'm, I have what they you may have heard of called HSP, which is highly sensitive person. It's like being an emotional super taster. And so I've got this strong intuition about things and then the inability to be quiet about it. Like if something <laughs> feels wrong, I have to say something. And I've had to regulate that as an adult, not so much that I'm worried about getting in trouble. I've been self-employed for mm. 20 years. I'm not really worried about getting in trouble. What I'm worried about is getting distracted
1: mm. because
0: you can't fight all the battles. You can't, you know, I have a shirt that says silence is not optional. Um, yeah. And what really just means, especially when it comes to injustices from silence is not optional from people that look like me because we have to mm. say something. But as a kid, um, talking too much and asking questions and challenging things, um, that, that got me in so much trouble at home, at school. Um, and it's interesting, though, is it didn't abandon me. It liberated me. And what I mean by that is I knew I wasn't going to get any of the answers from the adults that were around me. The closest adult that I felt like I got actually good answers from was my grandmother um, to life, life questions and why things were and you know the way they were. I didn't get that from anybody else, and so I went on a journey out out of childhood into teen, teenage, and young adult into looking for people that I could get mm. curious with. Yes, and I was raised in a fundamentalist church, which is you know the worst thing you can be and do in fundamentalism is ask questions, but I did it anyway, even though I I really wasn't. I left that church years ago, but it, it the discouragement that the, the ministry and the dogma was that you should, you know, the curiosity killed the cat and yeah, it's okay to be a wild animal until winter comes. And then you're going to be, want to be in the barn, you know, this, mm. all of this stuff that was around obedience. yes. And I've always had this like, fuck that shit. You know, towards uh-huh. Obedience, like I don't, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't like that feeling. And that's always been there as a kid, as a kid. And then it, it's I'm 52 now and I'm even probably more like that, mm-hmm. hopefully more mature and measured in the yes. way that I express what I express. Yeah. Beautifully said. Yeah. yeah. How do you, you know, as a sub question to that. I have two grown sons and, a, and a, a, that are um, beautiful, amazing men that were taught to question everything. And now a stepson who's mm-hmm. going to be 14 next month with your son. How are you, what are you doing different? How are you encouraging him to be curious
1: Firstly, I'm asking him to be curious with grace and compassion. It's the very things I say on stage. Um, and, mm. and that's why I give this kind of, it could appear opposing energies. Rebellious curiosity, I notice some might feel a little bit, Ugh. then the curiosity feels like the gentle, but I think they've got to be mirrored. I think that's what balance is all about. So I tell him as well, when he's being curious, as long as you're doing it with grace and compassion, you're not asking as if you're doing it in a judgment way, but you're genuinely curious. Why is that the way it mm-hmm. is? so i'm definitely trying to give him the insight behind his curiosity right. that's number one because i do think sometimes it can be very scattered we can go down rabbit holes and mm-hmm. and you know make sure it's measured i mean you said it beautifully just before but the other thing is giving him autonomy and sovereignty over the fact that he can and he mm-hmm. should be able to so you know he he knows that he can push back on me and he usually knows where that is and i believe my kids probably push back further than probably any other african parent and child does because (laughs) we definitely grew up in a culture which was you were to be seen and not heard so here i am giving them a voice so that's that's definitely the offering i'm giving him and my 16 year old
0: yeah my my partner um my stepson's mom is Mm -hmm. um Nicaraguan and French well, raised in Nicaragua primarily and was an activist Um and but came from that machista culture very patriarchal culture of you know obedience and duty yes. like obligation and one of the things I've admired about the way that she parents uh, uh, Andre and that now I'm learning to co-parent is that setting them setting them up Andre up for Successful curiosity yeah. usually around your own behavior, your own impulses, or your emotions—not so much like disorganized curiosity, um, if if there's such a thing, you know. So that mm-hmm. there's there's an act of there's also an act of rebellion just in generally asking questions, but you have to be yes. able to start with yourself, like correct, you know, self curiosity with that. So yeah, so something happens. I, I I related this second question where we kind of adults we lose our way. Um, mm. years ago, I was at a conference and there was this guy named Eric Wall, who's a performance artist. And he asked the audience, a room full of mostly white, mostly men executives, mm. uh, how many of you drew as a child, or drew or painted as a child? Everybody raised their hand. He goes, how many of you still do it? A room full of 200 people. One person kept their hand up. And mm. he goes, what happened?
1: Mm. And
0: it's a great question. So in this case, the second question is, how do you rekindle curiosity as an adult when mm. life? It's kind of grinded you down and that you may be, you know, adulting is hard. <laughs> How mm-hmm. do you kindle curiosity without it becoming just uh, different forms of distraction and coping mechanisms that keeps it yeah. like, earlier? keeps it real curiosity. How do you do that as an adult?
1: Oh, I make sure I have experiences that I haven't had before. And usually that means that I'm putting myself in what feels like a line of fire. It's the whole sitting, you know, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. I find it, I'm, I don't right. like flying. I really do not like flying. I'm seriously considering getting hypnotherapy the because I really would like to actually enjoy the process of not being in control. But that's what I'm trying to, but because I want the experiences that are on the other side of where that plane lands, I'm always going in that discomfort. So I keep my creativity by making sure my experiences are vast. I also keep my creativity by making sure I lean into the dialogue and conversation that opposes mine. I mean, you gave the definition, and I don't know who the original person is of, of intelligence, of being able to sit with opposing views. That's where my creativity comes as well. Because I'm also, and even though it's not to try to convince me to have a different view, I'm always interested and curious about the gap. What's the reason why people are so averse to this versus that? And then if I really feel it's my role is, well, how can I get creative to make them change their views or have a different perspective? It's exactly what I did right. with my right. um, with my work on trauma. And just to correct, I know in the bio, I haven't completed my Ph.D. I'm approaching my oh, second year. Okay. But oh, in, doing, in doing my Ph.D., it was how can I create something that is such a heavy topic, but will allow people to lean in, not run away. And then it was, how can I do it creatively? And I thought, I'm going to do it as as um, a documentary. And I hear this voice in my head say, whoa, 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 but you're an engineer. Like, mm-hmm. you're not meant to be using the other side of your brain. And this is where right. this is where the whole creative, rebellious, curious dance come on and says, who says I can't? And it's, it's, yes. it's, it's joy. So I, I always step know, yes. into uncomfortable situations.
0: Yes, I love that. And my, I think my answer to that would be very similar is, um, you, I call them adventures and, you know, adulting mm-hmm. is a combination of sort of maturity or familiarity and adventure. You can't, you swing too far to the, the familiarity aspect and you have the Ben Franklin quote. Um, I have many friends who died in their forties, but they had their or died in their died in their forties, but they had their funerals in their seventies. You know, like this dying never, you know, and the other side of it is just never maturing. Like in, in the United States, at least we have what I call the donkey Island men. Donkey Island was on Pinocchio where all the, where the kids went and they were emotionally stunted. We have a lot of men like that in this country that are, that are not curious and they're, but they have power or resources and they become yeah. emotionally stunted men. And you give emotionally stunted men power. They hurt people. That's what yeah.
1: happens. Yeah. And
0: and so, as an as from an adult standpoint of rekindling curiosity, you have to find those things that are adventurous that teach you about yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, that constantly looking in the mirror, and and I think the other way to do that is, um, and I say this as a white American male is you got to be in you got to immerse yourself into situations where you are the minority. Mm-hmm. Um. Whether whether that minority is white American male, straight, whatever, you have to do Able-bodied, it. Because,
1: yeah, part able bodied, not LGBTQA, right, yeah, yeah right. Every... any of
0: that. You have yeah. to you have to immerse yourself in that because people don't want to talk about this. But your biases teach you who you are. Yes. You know your Stop. consciousness. Consciousness knows just as so much about darkness as it does light, mm. and when you are in those situations where you're around people that don't look like you talk, like you think like you, you can that uncomfortableness. That's good. Mm -hmm. That's a sign of growth. Um, Sadly, at least in the United States, many people don't do that. Many people in my generation, gen Xers don't do that. They don't, they're around the same people. They've always been around. It's all like a, like a, like a, what I call a, a fart chamber. (laughs) Where they're all just (laughs) smelling each other's gas, you know, intellectually and spiritually, there's
1: no challenge Mm. uh,
0: to it. But I think I think that's all part
1: of it. Um, But that's the gap I'm really interested and curious about. My my thing is why aren't they? And one of the things that is coming up in my research is shame resilience. That a lot of us need to build our shame resilience because I actually think. You know, I do some work here in Australia, White Ribbon, which is about domestic violence. And I only decided to come on the board because I wanted to take a different approach. Why don't we think we're getting enough men supporting this movement? And I I actually think there's some part shame resilience, because if we get shamed for everything, even the things that we did in our past, which were wrong, and yet we keep on bringing it up because we think we are still the same people we were before, then it's an issue. There is a movable middle there's a movable middle, even in the middle-aged white man. And I'm just using that as a generic kind of group. And and that's what I'm curious about. That's what I I really breathing into my work. And so, uh, you know, as you were speaking to me, I was thinking, damn, I I need to be put in front of a room of middle-aged white middlemen, of which my current fiance is a middle-aged white man. I just, I wanna make it clear (laughs) how much my research is embedded in my life. (laughs) And I say that with as much love as possible. But <laughs> we learn idea. off of each other. And I'd love to be in a room to have that dialogue because I actually believe it's, you know, and, and I've got close affiliations to America. I my curiosity is is extremely hopeful that there can be change. But I, I love that you just identified yeah. and spoke about the elephant in the room, because we don't do it enough.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And even that gap that you referred to is I I you know it's why I call this podcast and my community on Substack the Third Way. Because mm-hmm. We have to. We have to. We have to really get back to not as as non-binary thinking as the primary method of thinking, uh-huh. with occasional necess- necessities for binary thinking as a tool. As yeah. the uh, Franciscan monk Richard Rohr talks about, uh, binary thinking as a tool. It's not a. It's not. A, it's not intended to be a permanent lens.
1: Yeah, um,
0: I think that's what you know. Curiosity also feeds is and I like to ask this to people I disagree with, especially mm. politically. How did yeah. you arrive at that conclusion? Yeah, I love it. How did you arrive at that conclusion? Because, okay, well, maybe in your background, you, you arrived at these things. Um, it doesn't make you a bad person necessarily, but it might make you very misinformed um, in, in the process. Yeah, exactly. um, last little thing before the last question, Yemi, is I'd like to get your take on this too, is... Um, I think it's very important to, from a curiosity standpoint, to hear about other people's experiences, mm-hmm. you know, that you can't have. Like if, you know, I, I say this a lot on social media when when I talk about systemic racism and my more right-wing white, white friends are like, that's not a thing you unwoke, blah, blah, blah. It's like, mm-hmm. talk to a person of color and let them tell you about what I'm yeah. saying. And, and I'm curious, <laughs> I say that very much intended I'm curious about how you feel about going and talking to other people that haven't had experiences like you what how is that part of the process of becoming rebelliously curious
1: uh it's a big it's a big part I mean I mean you almost said it well you said it in the beginning whenever I talk about rebellious curiosity it's got to start with self. It's got to stop with self mm. and do it with compassion. Otherwise you're going to run away. And if you can't even do it with yourself, you definitely ain't going to have time to do it for other people. So it really has right. to start with that. Learning about someone else, something that I've picked up here on indigenous land. I'm currently on Kamaragul land, original indigenous custodians of this land. One, a lady aunt Miriam Rose talks about deep listening. Daddy, yes. when I want to learn about someone else, I participate in deep listening. I was someone who couldn't give eye contact. I could not give eye contact for so many reasons. Part of it is because I didn't want to be seen. So in order for me to be able to listen to somebody else's experiences, I must let my ego chill. And it doesn't mean that, my ego doesn't come in and have dialogue when someone's speaking my judgment even though it's significantly less than it was before it's still there but I work on my shame resilience of I'm not going to shame myself for still trying to unlearn the things I've been told or kind of inherited so I have to it's like a muscle it's like going to the gym it's like like I have to practice this every day so how I get rebelliously curious about learning about somebody else is putting my ego to the side listening to the voices Mm -hmm. that come up but also gently silence in there and saying, look, I think you're here to protect me, but it's all good. I really need to contribute to a more just, equitable, diverse and inclusive world. So I'm going to listen. I remember when conversations of LGBTQI plus came out. It was an unknown to me, especially having grown up in, in a religious setting. And I needed yeah. to stand. Mm-hmm. But because yes. I got yes. curious about me, I thought, what cause am I fighting? I'm yeah. fighting a cause mm-hmm. of the gender spectrum and the race spectrum. So yes. here's another yes. group who are feeling a certain way and I can't stop and hear and listen. And that that is the rebellious. That is, I, I become I become the auntie and the mother to me. I become the matriarch, yeah. the wisdom holder yeah. to myself. That's the yeah. rebelliousness because I was not taught that.
0: I love that. Wow. You gave me the chills. Mm. <laughs> yeah. That's beautiful. Downloads. Yeah. And I, I think too, as you know, I say this again, as a kind of a white, you know, wham white American male, straight Christian ish, uh, is that we, we don't our cause if you will, of people that look like me is I think there's something beyond allyship. I mean, that's what we're doing with massive, a company that Virginia and I started We're teaching coaching business leaders how to be agitators to the system to provoke change um, but in sincere ways yeah and the the kind yeah. of gated community gated mind aspect of at least in the united states which is sort of a form of wealth a little bit of white supremacy thrown in a little bit of patriarchy thrown in of like oh those aren't problems for me so therefore they're not problems they're problems for other people to solve it's like yeah. no man, we are here, we have to help solve these things, not be you know the proverbial white savior. I'm not saying that.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah.
0: Because we cannot, I cannot have your we
1: are the family. ones we're waiting for. We keep waiting for somebody else. And just yeah. because we don't feel the pinch, and, right. and yeah, I, I hear yeah. you.
0: Totally. So last question is maybe one I won't be able to because usually I answer both questions, but this is truly out of curiosity. Is what is the relationship between curiosity and engineering? Like one of the things Ooh. that struck me after Juan introduced us, I was looking at your background. Is you don't hear engineers talk about this sort of thing and rebellious oh. curiosity and how how so? Obvi- the the differences are obvious, but how are they related? How do you use them as sort of a a canard for each you know for for change how do you do um, that
1: another beautiful question that yeah the gift the gift of, of doing podcasts and interviews whether engineers know this or not which is why I actually believe so many engineers are creative but every time I'm invited to go speak to engineers I'm told oh they might be a bit bland they won't speak to you but I connect to them immediately because what I'm doing is activating what I think is dormant genes or dormant receptors curiosity mm. and engineering for me go hand in hand When someone says we need to build a railway system underneath our existing harbour, that's curiosity. You can go and find every damn equation you want, Bernoulli's equation, Newton's, whatever it is, you have to get curious. I'll just give an example, and this is the geek and engineer nerd (laughs) in me. When we were here in Sydney working in Central Station, we've got, I don't know, about 25 platforms, And you've got a group of engineers that say, "Okay, in order to build the tunnel, we're going to need to go from the top down. So we're going to have to close the 10 platforms so no one can come in. So no one will be able to use the railway. Then people like, oh, my gosh, we can't do that. We're going to impact the whole railway. But then another set of designers say, "Ah, no, 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 there should be some another way. We should be able to go underneath. If we take that building that's out on the right hand side, we demolish it, we go underneath. That's curiosity. But at the moment, yeah. I think the yes. ego takes over and they think, no, that's just my brains. It's part curiosity yeah. and co-creation. So I think they go hand in hand, but I, I guess I've never been gifted that link of
0: yeah. how do I yeah. balance
1: it together. And, and the truth is, unfortunately, because I, I I'm i no longer deep in engineering work, I'm now deep in the sustainability and engineering of humanity. So what right. what right. you've gifted me is how to say, use it together. But can we be rebellious about it? And can we be compassionate at the same time?
0: Right. And I think being a spiritually curious engineer is fascinating, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, because there's this sort of um, order to things. It's almost yeah. like the masculine and feminine energy combined. There's the order of engineering and the beautiful disorder of the fact that whatever your engineering is going to, especially if it involves nature or humans, is going to you cannot always predict how it's going to respond, and I think yeah, that's it's why I've said many times that if all of your plans come true and all your dreams come true, it's very likely you're not dreaming big enough. You know, because that's it's <laughs> yeah. not that hard to do, as Ronald Reagan said, to have the low, the soft tyranny of low expectations, mm. and that you can still engineer your life. Yes, we need that. We need discipline and practices and structures. At the same time, moving things around a little bit, move, uh, being able to. And, and this is why I do believe very strongly that systems thinking in its purest form is actually spiritual yeah it's it's thinking like a creator which is spiritual that's what makes yeah. us unique as humans um is that we are creators of of things in the world that no other species does you know yeah. the way that we do it and so you know, it's funny i'm smiling because you answered that the way that I was like really hoping you would answer, which is that they are not <laughs> incompatible. It's only the illusion of incompatibility yes. and you need them Correct. both just yeah. like yeah. science and religion are not opposite of each other, unless you're an extremist, you yeah. know, Agreed. So, neither Agreed.
1: One I've started doing a lot of work with um Joe Dispenza and he's quantum healing. And he says, you know, science is the name given to explain the mysticism of life. And once again, it's all a play on yes. words. Um, yes. but, you know,
0: that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been super interesting. I'm going to link to all of your stuff, um, and I strongly encourage people, and you'll see the link in the show notes, to go watch your your TED talk. It's, thank you. It's re- it's really really good. Like you're very thank natural you. and natural in your presence, and I admire that as a professional speaker myself. So, um, I'm grateful for the introduction from Juan. And thank you for getting up extra early to talk to me tomorrow. <laughs> My
1: pleasure.
0: <laughs> and. I'll uh, I'll talk with you again soon. Absolutely, thank you so much.